Coming up this evening on NTD Business, oil prices falling to their lowest level in weeks. What's behind the drop in prices? But costs keep rising for American producers and they're feeling the pain. One manufacturer says it's relentless. And Starbucks teaming up with a major car maker to offer electric car charging at its coffee shops. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Paul Graney here live from New York City. Some positive news for your pocket today. Oil prices fell to the lowest levels in nearly three weeks. Brent crude fell to $98 a barrel intraday. WTI hit $94. as 23% lower than last week's peak. Lance Roberts at Real Investment advises the price is falling because the recent rally was simply unsustainable. Oil hit a 14-year high after Russia invaded Ukraine. And on the demand side, some good news as well, depending. OPEC says high inflation and the war in Ukraine could dent oil demand. Still expects world oil demand to exceed pre-pandemic levels this year, though. Despite the falling prices, apparently India wants to buy it even cheaper. It's reportedly considering buying discounted Russian oil, according to Reuters at least, citing Indian officials. The country imports 80% of its oil, but usually only 2-3% to of that comes from Russia. But with the cost of oil up dramatically this year, India is hunting for bargains. One official reportedly said Russia is offering oil and other commodities at a heavy discount. We'll be happy to take that. U.S. officials want India to distance itself from Russia, but India relies heavily on Moscow for military hardware, as much as 60% of it, although that number has been falling. India hasn't condemned Russia's invasion of Ukraine and also abstained from a U.N. vote calling Russia out. And it won't be a historic development. Saudi Arabia is reportedly in talks to sell oil to China for Chinese yuan. It's according to the Wall Street Journal. They're citing people familiar with the matter. We can't verify it. Since 1974, the Saudis have only sold oil for American dollars. This benefited the United States, so in return, the U.S. guaranteed military protection for the Saudis. The deal allowed the U.S. dollar to remain the world's reserve currency after President Nixon took it off the gold standard three years earlier. And as a result, today, 80% of the world's oil is traded for U.S. dollars. This helps fund the government's deficits as oil profits are often reinvested in U.S. government treasuries. But dollar inflation is a problem for Saudi Arabia. Just like it now costs you and I more dollars to buy stuff at the store, Saudi Arabia's U.S. debt holdings are now worth less and falling. It's also not an ideal circumstance for China because it can't print currency to buy oil like America can. China now buys 25% of Saudi Arabia's oil and rising. The U.S. is only buying a fraction of what it bought in the 1990s. And joining us to discuss this and all things China is Senior Fellow with the American Enterprise Institute, Derek Scissors. Derek, great to see you as always. Thanks for having me. Derek, would this be a significant win for China if they could buy oil from Saudi Arabia and Yuan? It would. Um, I don't think this is going to happen in a very dramatic fashion. I think both sides will want to experiment, say, let's try 5% of the payments are in Yuan, or if we're already at 3 or 4%, it goes up to 
something like that to test out the effects. Um, certainly would make it easier for China. The loss is on the Saudi side. China doesn't allow the yuan to move freely. So Saudi Arabia would be taking in a currency that it cannot use as freely as the U.S. dollar. There'll be some give and take between the two. Um, if, if we do see more uh, oil sales in renminbi, that is a gain for the Chinese. What exactly can it allow them to do, Derek? Well, it doesn't really, you know, allow them to do that much in the, in the direct sense of China. You know, China has plenty of foreign exchange reserves. They can pay for the oil. Um, but it does, as, as you indicated earlier, uh, if, if China is worried at some point about a payment squeeze down the line, it's not going to happen tomorrow, it's not going to happen next month or next year, then <clears throat> this gives them some more flexibility to say, all right, we can use our foreign exchange for other things. And oil, which China is going to be buying for decades to come, you know, is partly offset, and 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 we can have we can print money or, or have domestic currency pay for it. So it's not a short-term gain; it's a long-term gain. China really wants the world to use its new central bank digital currency. Any connection with this Saudi news? Yeah, I, I'm not somebody who cares that much about digital currency. A digital yuan is still a yuan. It has to be backed by Chinese wealth. China has the second-largest stock of wealth in the world after the United States. But it also is something you want to be able to move freely. So unless the digital currency can move much more freely than the regular currency, which would be interesting because it would cause a lot of challenges for China, it's not really worth anything more than the regular yuan. It makes transactions a little easier, but in modern commerce, transactions are fairly easy. We go back to fundamentals. If people want to hold more yuan, it has more value. Saudi Arabia says it might want to hold more yuan, but it's not because of the digitization. It's because China is their best customer. We see Chinese and Hong Kong stocks taking a battering this week. Is it reflective of the economy there? or? Well, I think there are two things going on. A lot of people, I have to say, including me, thought that at some point this year there'd be less of a crackdown on Chinese tech. Not that everything would be great, but it wouldn't be as bad as last year. And it just hasn't happened. Um, the crackdown just keeps you know, finding new, new uh, fronts to, to move into. So if you were expecting an improvement, you're not getting it. So that's depressing for investors. The other problem is clearly COVID. Um, China was more successful than a lot of the world in dealing with the first waves of COVID. It seems to be less successful than a lot of the world, certainly in Hong Kong and, and neighboring Shenzhen, in dealing with this wave. And that makes investors think that a major COVID-related crackdown is coming, which would hurt the economy. I want to go back to the tech stocks. It's been, like you said, was it been a year, at least you know, a number of months. What's your prognosis? Why do you think they're doing this? Well, at the beginning, I thought it was political. Um, I still think there's a political element. In other words, there's a lot of money coming into certain tech companies. There are very high-profile leaders of these companies. And Xi Jinping didn't like that. He didn't like the high profile of someone other than him. He didn't like capital. Uh, and, and, and these are Chinese private companies becoming more important in Chinese society. Um, so I felt like that there was a political motivation for the crackdown. It came along with a lot of other smaller things like gambling and don't be too effeminate on TV. Those are not economic events, right? They're clearly weird political events. Now, I feel like the Chinese have moved into saying, actually, we want to control data much more thoroughly than we did. And that means that the, what start, you know, which often happens, you start with a political activity teach these people a lesson, show them their place, and then you realize, hey, I kind of like control of this industry. And, and that's why it's, it's actually been more like a year and a half. That's why it's taking so long. And it, that creates a lot of uncertainty for the industry because you don't know where the policy is going to stop. Yeah. 
We're seeing it showing up in the, in the stocks now, as you mentioned. Derek Scissors, American Enterprise Institute. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Russia can now legally seize foreign-owned aircraft and just use them inside Russia. President Vladimir Putin signed it into law today, as according to Russian state news agency. The new law is part of Russia's efforts to combat Western sanctions. Under the new rule, Russian airlines could seize and operate aircraft leased by companies that have pulled out of the country. There are quite a few of them. Russian airlines have more than 500 leased from abroad. Overall, those aircraft could be worth as much as $10 billion. But the Wall Street Journal says Russia could struggle to get spare parts for the jets because of the sanctions. That could put passengers at risk. And Volkswagen isn't the only Western business staying in Russia. Many others have chosen to stay, with some limiting their operations. And today's Con Fredrickson investigates. Although many businesses are exiting Russia, many others are either staying or maintaining a limited presence. Notable companies that are staying include Taiwanese computer hardware company Asus, Reebok, Baker Hughes, General Mills, and Subway. It's not necessarily as easy just to walk away from some of those production lines. We already have incredible supply chain constraints throughout the entire world. Don Kaufman is the co-founder of Theotrade, an online financial education provider. Kaufman says these companies should leave anyway, and that it'll be 10 to 15 years before companies start returning. Even if Putin were replaced within days, that political you know, stigma is going to surround this particular event. We have seen firms that have lost hundreds of millions of dollars, okay, already in investments in Russia. We've lost, you know, a huge amount of oil and gas in terms of investments on that. Uh, again, no one, uh, no one's going to forget. Not everyone agrees. When situ- this tension uh, uh, will be finished, uh, and uh, Russia uh, will open to uh, entire world, Russian market grows two, three, four times maybe in a very short time. Andre Kovalev is a managing partner at Business Invitee Consulting Group. Kovalev says companies that stay will have little competition and then an advantage when the Russian market reopens. Meanwhile, Wall Street's big banks are maintaining a limited presence. They include Citigroup, J.P. Morgan, and Goldman Sachs. This way they, they don't return their banking licenses. They still are open in the sense of having people there on the ground. They're, of course, not operating as they would normally operate, given the sanctions. David Schwartz is the president and CEO of FIBI, an international banking trade association. Schwartz says this way, banks won't have to rebuild from the ground up when the conflict resolves. Getting a banking license in Russia is a lengthy and laborious procedure. Colin Fredrickson, NTD News. Wall Street rallied today. The S&P 500 ended a three-day skid. The Dow rose about 600 points, one and eight-tenths of a percent. The S&P 500 gained 89 points, two and one-tenth of a percent. The Nasdaq added 367 points, about two and nine-tenths of a percent today. Investors now turning their focus to the Fed, which is expected to announce an interest rate hike tomorrow. Well, the market numbers then. And here's telling you, but prices kept rising in February. Another key inflation gauge soaring, hitting double digits. U.S. producer index tracks what America's producers get paid for their goods and services. It rose 10% over the past 12 months. That's the first time the index hit double digits since it began in 2010. The January number was revised up too. Prices are up eight-tenths of a percent in February alone.
So joining us to discuss what may be on the horizon for inflation here in America is Nicole Walter, president and CEO of HM Manufacturing, also a board member with the National Association of Manufacturers. Nicole, as always, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Nicole, a lot to talk about, but I think most timely is how is this conflict in Ukraine affecting the prices you're paying and subsequently what consumers may pay down the road? Well, I will say it's been a mess. Um, you know, the last time we spoke, we were talking about aluminum and how those prices are skyrocketing. And it seems to just keep going. You know, uh, Russia is the second largest producer of aluminum. And so even though I'm not using their aluminum, there's just not an abundance around. So I've now, I'm now paying $3.40 a pound. So from the time that we spoke, I was about $25,000 every two weeks for this material. I am now at 34,000 and growing. And from what I've been hearing from my suppliers is that it's just gonna keep going to maybe $4, $4.50. And that's pretty scary in terms of all the costs that keep generating. Um, I actually, in terms of gas prices, I lost an employee last week just because he was looking to try to find something closer. So before we were all worried about, you know, other companies poaching our, our employees, now we have to worry about do they want to stay local because of the gas prices and not wanting to drive all that way. Um, so we're, we're dealing with that. We're dealing with inflation in terms of uh, health care costs going up. Freight is going up as well. Um, UPS is a 22% up from the beginning of the year. And then I also have suppliers that used to do free delivery based on a certain amount, and now they're not offering that. Wow, I'm shocked. I'm really, really shocked. Where is the breaking point here? Everyone's prices seem to have gone up. I don't know, and, and I think that's the fear for everybody. If it's not material costs going up in terms of raw materials, it's packaging costs, it's healthcare costs. Um, you know, we can't keep up with the inflation costs for wages. Um, and so I have to look at raising the prices for my employees for their wage costs. And what I'm doing is weekly, I'm trying to figure out where can I start cutting the fat. Um, and, and I'm looking at something even as minuscule as uniform costs. So we have a company that comes every week. They change out the uniforms. They bring mats. And now I'm thinking about cutting that entirely just so I can start gaining some ground and be able to add to the employee wages. So you're trying to figure out now, okay, well, if my suppliers are adding, freight's adding, healthcare costs are, are rising, natural gas has gone up for me 50%. Um, I don't know when the end in sight's going to be. So on that point, we're two years into the pandemic, two years into this rapid inflation, give or take. Where is the root cause? Great question. Uh, I don't know. I think in the beginning it was because there wasn't enough workforce. And so everyone was being very cautious with their spending. Um, you know, we were trying to kind of remobilize all of our workforce to try to keep going. And then it just kept growing in terms of cost with material because you didn't have enough labor. Now we have labor, but gas prices is going and it's getting, it's growing up. And I don't think that it has much to do with Russia. I mean, inf inflation has been scaling since um, and now it's just getting worse. So for us, I think it's it's labor, it's raw materials, it's just not having the ability to kind of 
reshore internally to to make it better for us. We just really need to be more concerned about that. Yeah, I feel for you, Nicole. Like we said, I, I just don't know where the breaking point is. I, I don't know, but I think we're going to see. I think we're going to see. Nicole Walter, HM Manufacturing. Appreciate it as always. Thank you. Thank you. And sorry to tell you comfort seekers out there, but Ford will start shipping Explorer SUVs without rear seat controls for AC and heat. They're going to add the components later. Let's move to address the tight inventory of vehicles at dealerships in light of the chip shortage still with us. Ford will install the feature at the dealership at no cost to the owners once the chips become available. Ford says it's already offering buyers of its F-150 pickups the choice of giving up a fuel-saving feature for a credit or waiting for the truck to be built with the feature. That can't be added after the fact. And at a Starbucks annual shareholders meeting tomorrow, the coffee giant is launching a huge initiative to go greener. It includes adding a charging network for electric cars. Coffee and electric cars? Anthony's Phil Zoe has more from the Meatpacking District in New York City. Starbucks and Volvo cars are teaming up, offering charging stations for electric cars at up to 15 coffee shops. It's part of a pilot program spanning from the Starbucks headquarters in Seattle all the way to Denver, Colorado. Well, yeah, I mean, if everybody tomorrow bought an electric vehicle, there would be nowhere to charge them. I caught up with coffee drinker and musician Rick Bedrosian right outside of the Starbucks Reserve Roastery in New York City. I think they're a great idea. They just, I think they need to be phased in over a course of probably a few decades. By the end of this year, Starbucks will install as many as 60 of the Volvo-branded fast chargers. But Bajosian says there's a problem. If there's not enough charging stations, there can't be enough electric vehicles. But if there's, you know, too many of one and not enough of another, they, have to, they both have to sort of expand at the same time, I think. Volvo car owners get to use the charging stations for free, while everyone else will have to pay a fee. Phil Zoe, NTD News, New York. And Intel has picked Germany as the site for a huge new chip-making complex. It's among the first concrete plans the firm announced as part of an $88 billion investment in Europe. The U.S. chipmaker also said it would boost an existing factory in Ireland and set up a research and development facility in France. It's also in talks over an assembly, packing and assembly site in Italy, Intel's plans come as the industry faces a surging demand for chips that are used in computers, cars, and other devices. The new chip-making sites will create about 3,000 jobs in Germany and another 1,000 in France. Intel says it chose to work in multiple countries to avoid overexposure to one particular labor market. With that, we'll take a quick break, but still to come, stay with us. Inflation at a new high, but apparently there's a group of people that might be shielded from the worst of it. Gas prices at record highs. We have tips on how you can save money when you're filling up. That and much more coming up on NTD Business.
Welcome back. When I say Starbucks cup, you know exactly what it looks like, right? Yeah, just like that on the screen. But that's not necessarily a good thing. The cups are recyclable, but it doesn't mean they always end up getting recycled. The company's chief sustainability office calls it a quote, symbol of a throwaway society. So here's their plan. By 2025, the company wants every customer to be able to use their own mug or borrow a ceramic or a reusable to-go mug from their local Starbucks. Doesn't mean the paper and plastic cups will go away for good, but you can expect to see Starbucks pushing a new borrow a cup program. With inflation at an all-time high and still increasing, JP Morgan says there is one group of people that may be shielded from some of its impact. It's a group that may surprise you. And Denise Evelyn Lee got some experts' opinions. The Russia-Ukraine conflict is driving prices even higher. But retirees might not feel the brunt as much. That's according to a report from JP Morgan. But Julio Gonzalez, the CEO and founder of a tax firm, finds this surprising. He says typically those are the ones hardest hit by inflation. The people that are suffering the most, the people on fixed incomes, I think that that's going to be difficult to help them in the short term. But J.P. Morgan found that spending habits change during the golden years. The basket of goods retirees buy changes, and that could reduce the impact of inflation. For example, gas prices have spiked, but older households tend to spend less on transportation. And some retirees may have the flexibility to buy less gas by combining trips or sharing rides. But Dana Artzer, a retirement advisor, says that they have other expenses. The very small, minute Social Security increase they get and then Medicare takes it back because they give them a Medicare increase on their premium and their deductible. Um, not to mention that the drug prices are increasing. It's just, it's terrible. She says she talks to people on a daily basis who have money concerns. JP Morgan acknowledges that older Americans face rising health care costs, but says retirees tend to spend less in other categories. But both Gonzalez and Arthur disagree. Arthur says retirees still want to go out and enjoy life. And Gonzalez thinks only a minority have fairly fixed expenses. Those are typically the ones who have already paid off mortgages and cars and live modestly. I don't think most people are shielded from it because ultimately utility costs are still going up, food prices are still going up, gas is still going up. So the only way they're shielded really is from less consumption. Cutting down on consumption is one way retirees can deal with inflation. Another is taking a job to boost income. Artser says she suggests looking at money-saving alternatives like tax-deferred products before retirement. Evelyn Lee, NTD News. Now, with gas prices still soaring across the U.S., and while the conflict in Ukraine is partly to blame, the impact is expected to stick around for a while just as many Americans begin to plan their spring break road trips. But here are three tips to help you save money at the gas pump. A gallon of gas costs more than it ever has. On Monday, the average price for a gallon of gas was $4.32. That's higher than it was in 2008, when it was $4.11. We're at a point now at an all-time high. Remember what happened in 2008? People got out their bicycles and started walking places where possible. Although the U.S. barely uses Russian oil, Moscow's invasion of Ukraine is still a major factor. Russia is one of the world's biggest oil suppliers, and lower supply affects global prices. Americans need to go into conservation mode and cut our consumption 
to improve the situation. There's no other way around it. And with the conflict abroad intensifying, experts say price increases won't be stopping anytime soon. Expert Lauren Fix from Car Coach Reports has three tips to help you save money. Number one, if you're in park, turn it off. Don't leave your car running, not even to warm it up. I know we typically think it's only a couple pennies to sit in the drive-thru, park your vehicle and go inside. That will save you the most fuel. Number two, travel light. Get that heavy junk out of the back. Moving additional weight, like bike racks and gear, requires more fuel. And number three, keep your car in good shape. That means getting in the habit of checking your tire pressure and keeping up with maintenance. Anytime an engine's not maintained properly, that means something's not functioning properly. So you're not going to get the best fuel economy when a pump or a hose isn't working or a belt or a bushing or bearing, something that's causing that vehicle to struggle. And finally this evening, the first International Space Station spacewalk for 2022 is taking place today. NASA says two astronauts started installation shortly after 8 a.m. Eastern. Their spacewalk is expected to last nearly seven hours. The astronauts will assemble and install modification kits that will make future solar array upgrades possible outside of the space station. Comes as the clock is ticking on the ISS, which will be retired at the end of the decade. As the latest from the NTD business team and myself, Paul Graney, you can still catch NTD Evening News with Stephanie Cox at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. NTD Business, it's all for today. Thank you for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.